Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello and welcome to the RA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa. And we are thrilled to have a very special guest here from the Wealth Enhancement Group, Jim Kahn, CIO and Chief Business Development Officer. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're very lucky that we get to do this at the end of the year because now you get to be the pundit, right? You get to look back at all the things that have taken place over the course of 2022, make some predictions about 2023, and tell us all the different things that you've accomplished at Wealth Enhancement Group this year and what's on tap for next year as well. So it's a great time to do the interview. Uh, We've been trying to get to spend some time with you and the team for a while, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say here today. Well, as, as a chief investment officer, they're usually asking me to look forward. So I really appreciate the opportunity to look back. So thank, th- thank you, Mark. You can never be wrong when you look backwards. That's the ex- best ex- part. Ex- right? exactly. exactly. So before we jump into some of the things that you're seeing in the M&A market and some of your thoughts about what's ahead, uh, you do have a, an unusual balance of roles at Wealth Enhancement Group as the chief investment officer and the chief business development officer. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your role focus and where it fits into the Wealth Enhancement Group? Yeah, it's funny. I always tell people that uh, a good portfolio needs to be diversified and a, and a, and a good you know, job also needs to be diversified. And so when the markets are going down, everyone's curious to know what the chief investment officer has to say. And very few people want to sell their business. And I think you know, we'll probably touch on that with the slowdown in M&A in the second half of 2022 and likely the first quarter of 2023. And when the market's going up, no one cares what the chief investment officer has to say. And everyone seems to want to sell their business. And so I get to uh, load balance my time based on what's going on in the marketplace. Um, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but, but actually having firms join us is a lot like making investments on behalf of our business. And it's very important that we underwrite the firm to join us in the same way we'd underwrite an investment that we'd make in a client's portfolio, which is, is this a good fit? Is this appropriate from a risk tolerance? And and does this sort of align with our values and where we want to be as a business? So there are a shocking number of similarities between making investments on behalf of clients and making investments on behalf of our firm. I love that. It's something that you don't hear very often at all. I haven't come across another firm that has a similar setup or a similar balance of roles. And the way you just talked about investing in RIAs and investing in the markets more broadly uh, is really a differentiator in a lot of ways. So let's stay with the differentiators for a moment. We've had a lot of the very active professional buyers on the RIA Edge podcast over the last couple of years here. Um, And one of the goals is to help let our audience know what the various different, who the various different players are, but also some of the things that they're doing differently when they're looking to acquire, when they've made an acquisition, um, so maybe we can start there, Jim. I think it'd be helpful for our audience to get a sense. You know, where do you fit into the M&A ecosystem? And more specifically, what types of problems do you tend to solve for the sellers and partner firms that you have? Well, I, I love how you asked that question. What problems do we solve? Because what's interesting is that um, the large acquirers have gotten so specialized in terms of their value proposition to sellers that it's no longer about 
you know, us trying to convince a firm that they should join us, right? It's really about that firm looking introspectively and figuring out what problems do they have? Why are they actually doing this transaction? And then there are a number of firms out there that have specialized solutions. And then it's about finding which firm has that specialized solution for those problems. So if you look at the spectrum of offerings from large firms, they sort of move along a line of integration. So we have what we call the financial buyers. And these financial buyers will come in, they'll write you a check, you'll get your money and that might solve some capital issues or get out the retiring advisor, retiring founder. Uh, but they're really not gonna support you in terms of building the business. So they're not gonna help you with organic growth. They're not gonna help you with the back office. They're not gonna help you with the development of the next generation of advisors. They're not gonna expand the service offerings that you can provide to your clients. Then on the far other end, or what we call the sort of distribution buyers. So these are the buyers who come and they buy your business and they say, you know what, we're going to change absolutely everything about your business so it conforms to the way that we do investments and planning. You're going to come onto our platform. You're going to use our central planning team. You're going to use our investment team. And you're just going to be distribution for what we think is a best-in-class solution. And that's a great solution because it allows firms and allows advisors to get additional scale. It allows them to sort of tap into central specialists, but there's a real problem with that model. And that problem is that you as an advisor have made promises to clients. And if you deeply and fully integrate your offering with some larger organization, you're not going to be able to keep those promises. And then secondly, a lot of those models use sort of a salary and bonus type uh, method for rewarding their advisors. And that's not very motivating to the next generation. So we've seen a lot of these large distribution type firms lose some of that next generation talent because they can't offer that entrepreneurial experience that the founders had and that they ultimately capitalized on when they sold to the distribution buyers. So we think of ourselves as more of a partnership model that sits in between the financial buyers and the distribution buyers. And our idea is that anywhere where there's customization or value and customization to the end client, to the relationship, the planning, the investments, we're going to leave that with the team. We're going to leave that with the office to make the ultimate decision on how those three areas get executed. But anywhere where there's value in scale, where there's no value in customizations to the client, so think about compliance, technology, finance, and accounting, we're going to take that centrally, which will free up the scarce resource of advisor time and client service time. Client service people are totally underrated in this industry. They're the ones that really make everything go sure. so that they can take on more clients and, and prospects. And so by sort of staking out that middle ground very clearly, entrepreneurial advisors with a really strong next gen have been very attracted to our model because they have access to all the specialists, they have access to all these capabilities, but they're not being pigeonholed into one service delivery model. I appreciate you sharing that because I was familiar with Wealth Enhancement Group from a distance. I knew a little bit about some of the firms that you've acquired, but the, to hear that from beginning to end really helps put what you do into context relative to not just others in the market, but you know what types of problems some RIAs need help with right now. Um, and along those lines, I, I would be very curious, you know, obviously December of 2022 is a very different world than December of 2021. Um, and I know there's still a lot of M&A activity that's taking place despite the drop in markets, rising interest rates. But I, I am curious, have you seen any change in either the types of sellers or their specific needs over the last year, given everything that has taken place? I'd say that the types of sellers hasn't really changed, but the types okay. of buyers has. So a lot of the large buyers that were in the market paying um, somewhat unsustainable multiples for these businesses have had to rethink their strategies and they've left the market. And what you're seeing is smaller regional players that maybe haven't done a deal 
uh, they haven't done a transaction that are trying their hands at transactions and they're still bidding on these old multiples. Um, and so we're seeing new entrants come in at uh, sort of higher multiples than sort of where the, the, the sort of the incumbent incumbent players are and that that's supporting the market a little bit but ultimately we're seeing that the close rate on those deals is substantially lower hmm. so we might get into a process a banking process and uh, you know a firm may come to us and say well we received this really high offer from this firm that's only done two or three transactions and so we're going to go with them and then three months later we get a call saying you know what that didn't work out because of any number of reasons are you still interested in the business and so we're seeing less experienced buyers enter the market. And, and, I, and I think that that's created a little bit of confusion for sellers, but it, it's, it's, it's also created some opportunity for us. No, I appreciate that. It's the first that I've, it makes logical sense. There's no question about it. Um, it's, but it's the first that I've heard that described. And, and I anticipate that there's still a very strong amount of activity taking place, likely will be strong M&A activity in 2023. So with that, I would also love to just get a sense from you when you're looking at a firm or when you're evaluating opportunities, what is the profile of an ideal team or an ideal firm for Wealth Enhancement Group? And that could be you know, quantitative, qualitative, or both. So there, there are three things that we look for when we look, look at a firm. And the first is, you know, do they pass the mom test? Would I refer my mother to this advisor? And it's a surprising number of firms don't pass that test. Uh, my background is as an institutional investor, I came to the retail side of the business because I wanted to make sure that retail clients who worked hard, saved their money, uh, got great advice. And uh, frankly, there are a lot of firms out there that that that, that just don't live up to the promise. Um, and so that, that's the first thing we screen for is would we refer a family member? The second is, are they a financial planner? And so there are a lot of firms out there that say they do financial planning. And clients have a hard time figuring out whether they do or they don't. So it's very difficult to observe the quality of advice that the client's getting in our business. So we want to make sure that they really believe in financial planning because we believe that's the part of the business that won't be commoditized. Mm. And then the third thing we're looking for is do they want to grow? And, and you know, a, a large percentage, more than 50% of firms in our industry are in net negative outflows. So they have more money going out than coming yeah. in. We need to see a firm that wants to grow. They, they have a next generation they want to feed. Um, they're, they're, they're doing things, whether it's marketing, it doesn't even matter if it's working, but they've, they're doing things and trying to find new ways to, to grow their client base. And, and if they have those three things, then, then we're excited about it. I'll add a fourth, and this is, this is sort of related back to what you said about the changing environment, which is 24 months ago when capital was basically free, in fact, the real rate was negative, right? And so people were paying us to take money. Any firm that sort of fit that criteria I would say would be a good candidate for us. Today, where the cost of capital is higher, we have to be able to figure out a way where we can actually drive more productivity from the businesses that join us. And that productivity comes in the form of growth. And so that might be plugging into our organic marketing system uh, mm -hmm. that really sort of built the business. That might be you know, working with one of our referral partners. But if we can't find a way to grow that business, then we're not gonna be able to get the return that we need to be able to pay the multiples that the market's still demanding. So that that's 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 become a more important part of our overall assessment of these businesses. Yeah, it's a it's a great point and one that you know, we've recently done some research, uh, which we'll be publishing uh, shortly. That is our RA Edge M and A outlook for 2023. And there really, well, there's been a slight drop off in the expectation for the number of deals that'll take place next year. Um, it doesn't seem to have been terribly derailed, given how significant all of the you know, external factors are, right? They could influence deals. Um, cost of capital being at the top of the list. What's been interesting is a lot of the conversations we've had around that 
touch on exactly what you just said. Um, you know, we still will see some deals getting done, uh, but there's that much more pressure on the firms that are being acquired to perform and to deliver. I mean, it's kind of changed one of the fundamental drivers of M&A over the last 10 years in the space. It used to be succession, right? So succession equals sale and exit. Um, we saw more people doing sell and stay. And I'm curious now, I mean, if you're looking at these firms that want to grow, how many of these, and you don't have to give a precise number, but roughly, how many of the firms that you're talking to um, that are looking you know, at a wealth enhancement group for a partnership are you know, exits you know, and a more classic succession planning play versus a sell and stay transition, let's grow together where one plus one equals more than two? So we've done very few sort of sell, sell and leave type transactions. I'd say probably we've done about 50 transactions and I'd say less than five of them are sort of sell and leave. The majority of our transactions are either sell and stay or sell and stay for you know, you know five to seven years while, while they develop that next generation. We won't buy a business that doesn't have next generation talent underneath it mm -hmm. because like I, like I said before, the scarce resource is really advisor talent. And if you internally develop that advisor talent, you know, you're, you're thinking about sort of a you know, six to 10 year investment in an individual uh, from the time they come in as a client service person, as a planner, to the time they can sit in front of a, a reasonably sophisticated client. Um, and so the, the whole reason we're doing M&A is to sort of you know, acquire that talent to basically jump over that, that that's, you know, six to 10 year maturation period so that we have more advisors to take the leads from our various you know, institutionalized processes of finding clients. And so when you think about what our strategies around M&A, it's very different than our competitors. Our competitors are buying assets for the, primarily for the purpose of achieving a multiple arbitrage. And that multiple arbitrage is getting harder to achieve in this environment. Mm -hmm. And so I think that our strategy of M&A for the purpose, not of necessarily solely at multiple arbitrage, but to acquire the talent that we need to you know, to facilitate the organic growth that, that we've demonstrated is, 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 is really a very good strategy. And it's sort of led us to a very different, we're attracted to very different types of firms than I think most buyers in the space, which is we're really not that interested in the sell and go away. Okay. No, that's great. I appreciate you also just kind of putting that in the context of, there are very few people that that I've had on here who would acknowledge that they're in the business of multiple arbitrage, right? Um, but it is a factor um, and it definitely does shape the strategy and obviously the, the ultimate transaction, right? That a, a firm would, would look to execute on. Um, and I think, you know, we talked a lot about M&A uh, and you touched on it a little bit earlier when you were talking about some of the, obviously the, the motivations um, when you're looking at a firm and what you'd like to see happen after the deal. But when it comes to organic growth, it's obviously been a lot harder to come by. Um, you've mentioned that a lot of firms are seeing negative outflows here. We're seeing the same thing, um, especially when there's no market appreciation. Uh, I think we're seeing quite a few advisors that are actually in a state of you know, decline right now, their AUM is. How are you helping some of the firms that come on to your platform that you start working with to drive really intentional strategic organic growth? Yeah, so I'd say there are, there, there are sort of three pillars to the way that we drive organic growth for our advisors. The first pillar is really around time allocation. And so if you think about a founder and you think about sort of a firm that's uh, 500 million to a billion and a half, that founder and that senior advisor, those senior advisors are usually the, sort of the best rainmakers. Um, that's how they built the business. And mm -hmm. when we when we find them, they're usually spending between sort of 25 and 40% of their time actually running the business as opposed to going out and finding clients and closing prospects. 
And so we can usually give them 60 to 70% of that time back. So just by expanding the amount of time they have to work with clients by taking off the administrative responsibilities of running the business, they, they grow, right? Because they, they, they can't help themselves, but go to the country club uh, and, and find new clients. So that's the first piece. The second piece is really around sort of our uh, inner, or sort of around our organic growth strategies. So, uh, you know, the, the business started in 1996 with a radio show. And if you look at some of our you know, legacy advisors, in Minnesota and Iowa, many of them haven't found their own clients in a decade. Those clients all came through uh, the radio show, which then evolved into sort of more of a direct marketing approach, which has now evolved with Eric Weiss, who uh, joined us from Personal Capital. Um, into really a digital marketing uh, approach. And that approach has been very successful at finding high quality clients for our advisors. And then we also have our, our, our partner program. So we have a variety of sort of what we call structured COIs uh, where we're bringing in clients that, 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 that are sort of pre-vetted for our advisors. And, and, and that's, that's generated a substantial amount of growth as well. And then the third pillar is talent development. So we have an advisor services group that will help advisors go and recruit younger people who want to be in the business, maybe they have some experience, and then we'll help develop them so that they can work on the advisor's team and they can actually grow the business with that advisor and eventually become their successor. So between the time allocation, um, sort of our systematic organic growth engine and our ability to find and develop advisors, uh, what you'll see is that people who join us have substantial increases in net flows uh, over the previous 24 months before the period that they joined us. And, and that's something that we're very proud of. And I, I think that it's something that people who you know, are looking to join us are always a little bit skeptical of, but when they start mm -hmm. to talk to some of the firms that have joined us, that promise is sort of made more real to them. Um, and so that's something that we, we really pride ourselves on. I appreciate that because we, we talk about M&A gets all the headlines, right? And it's easy to see. It's easy for us to cover on wealthmanagement.com. Uh, but your organic growth, which is really what's happening every day behind the scenes, um, is something that you know we don't talk about enough. So I appreciate you sharing not only some of the process, but also some of the results. It's been a very interesting year. I think for a lot of firms, it's presented some great opportunities. We've talked about it quite a bit. Bear markets can also present bull markets for advisors, right? Um, or at least the advice business. Um, so I'm glad to hear and congratulations on all the growth and the success that you've had um, over the last couple of years and in 2022 as well. Um, with that, you know, obviously we're, end of year 2022. So I have to ask you to look in the crystal ball and I have to ask you to give me your views on next year and beyond. Um, and as a, as a chief investment officer, I'm sure you are accustomed to that yeah. and waiting for it. Um, but if we could specifically look at you know where you see some growth opportunities for Wealth Enhancement Group in 2023, um, I think that that would be really interesting to our audience. And then maybe more broadly, where you see some macro growth opportunities in the RIA industry in general. Yeah, I think if you so, I mean, let, let's look at it as a, let's look at it from an investment perspective. So if you think about the investments that we've been making in both organic growth and inorganic growth, the M&A, um, in order to sustain those investments at the same level, we actually have to improve our productivity, right? So the discount rate's gone higher. So our return in order, in, in order, to, in, in order to reach the same return thresholds, uh, we actually have to get more out of those investments. And so I think that you'll see a relentless focus from Wealth Enhancement Group over the next couple of months in terms of finding ways to be more productive with technology and with process improvement. And we, we subscribe to something called the Agile process for development. So we have mm -hmm. software developers and we have Agile teams that are continuously working on improving our processes. And we've been funding those aggressively. and We're starting to see those fruits. Um, and so over the last, um, you know, 36 to 48 months, we've really been focused on M&A. And, and I think that, you know, we've, we've 
acquired some really great firms and we'll continue to be focused on M&A, but we're, we're, we're really focused in the short term and sort of the beginning of 2023 and making sure that we get those productivity enhancements for our advisors and our back office team so that they can be much more efficient in a higher, you know, in an environment where capital costs are higher. I think if you look out into 2023, I think that M&A will slow a little bit in the first quarter. I think we're starting to see buyers expect for price sort of not match quite with the, the, the multiple expectations of sellers or sort of a rush to sort of capitalize on extremely high multiples. Um, it, buy sellers in kind of the kind of middle part of 2022 that's died down a little bit. And I, I think if you, if, you, if you didn't sell in the middle of 2022 um, or at the end of 2021, I, I think, and, and you want to sell, I think sellers are sort of kicking themselves a little bit. Yeah. So it will take some time or maybe a quarter or two for seller expectation and buyer expectations to realign. I think you could see a slowdown in the first half of 2023 and then a sort of a pickup towards the back half of 2023. And a lot of that's going to depend on what the Fed does. You know, we tend to think that the Fed's going to hold interest rates a little bit higher for longer uh, to avoid some of the mistakes that were made in the 70s with respect to sort of lowering rates too quickly and then seeing inflation return, which is definitely a concern given the labor market. Uh, And so I think that the markets will be a little... I think markets are maybe a little bit too optimistic about where, where, where the path of interest rates are, are, is going to go. And I think that that, that, that probably implies sort of a, a longer slowdown for M&A in our space. And, but, but consolidation is ultimately where it's going. So even if it slows down for two or three quarters, um, you know, I think we sort of, you know, we, we just push that then into 24 and we see an acceleration in 24 and, and those deals get done maybe a year later. So I, I don't I don't think it fundamentally changes anything. Yeah, I, we, we tend to look at things in 12 month sprints, um, but I think you know, longer term, uh, there's still you know, a, a tremendous amount of consolidation that will take place. And that's actually my final question for you, Jim, is where are we right now in the RIA M&A you know, cycle um, and how mature <laughs> are we as an industry right now relative to where you think we'll be in five to 10 years? Well, it's so funny. A lot of our competitors talk about, you know, what inning are we in in terms of the consolidation as if we were a baseball game. And I have no idea what inning we're in. Uh, there are 20,000 independent RAAs and then a 20,000 more independent financial advisors. So, you know, this is one of the most fragmented industries that you could possibly imagine. Right? We yep. have 40,000 potential um, you know, uh, acquisition targets. Um, and it, but if you look at what's happened to our space over the last, you know, four or five years, you know, scale in our space all of a sudden matters, whereas it didn't five years ago. So, you know, if, if you look forward, um, you know, five years, scale is just going to matter more. Scale is going to matter because clients want uh, a broader set of services, you know, tax prep, estate planning, trust services. Uh, clients want to have digital engagement in the same way they have with their bank. That's a, you know, an investment that will cost tens of millions of dollars. And more clients are finding their advisors online, which requires digital marketing, which is another investment that requires tens of millions of dollars. And so just like when the banks in the 80s achieved you know, economies of scale uh, through technology and then the accounting firms in the 90s and more recently the insurance brokerage roll-ups, um, I, I think what you'll see is that the bulk of the organic growth will go to the larger firms. Uh, and so if you look out five or 10 years, the large firms, I think will be getting, you know, there'll be four to 10 large firms and they'll be getting the, the sort of the share of the new inflows and there'll be a number of smaller RAs, just like their number of smaller banks that will have sort of specialty focuses, but they're going to find it much harder to grow. And they're going to find that the, the, the service offering from the larger firms is going to be overwhelming from a value proposition perspective to the end client. And, and I think that really does favor you know, continued consolidation or industry um, in the same way that we saw it happen in the brokerage space and in the insurance space and in the, in, in, in the banking space. So I, you know, I, 
think wealth enhancement is, is, is very well positioned to be one of those winners, but I, I do think it's going to be competitive. And I, I think there'll only be a few that kind of make it to the end. Yeah, it will be interesting. It obviously won't all happen in 2023. Um, yeah. but I, I tend to agree with you that you know, whether it's four firms or you know 10 firms that have 90% of the market in due time, um, I think we're getting there. Just you also mentioned how fragmented the space is. And with 40,000 firms, it does raise the question, what what role do some of those small and mid-sized firms play five to 10 years from now? I think there'll always be a place. I just don't know that there will always be a place for 38,000 of them. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. how that plays out. Um, but Jim, is there anything I didn't ask you or anything I should have asked you before we let you run here? No one ever asks like, you're doing M&A, but should you be doing M&A? And I always think <laughs> that that's an interesting question. So it's like, as an investment professional, if I was running a long short fund, Right. I'd want to be short all the companies that were doing M&A and long all the companies that had organic growth. Right. Um, if you look at the track record of M&A over the long term, it's really terrible. Um, and M&A is generally about empire building as opposed to value creation. And so mm. uh, we always say M&A is the worst way to build a business. And, you know, my hope is that, you know, if you look out five or 10 years, we've established a footprint of really high quality businesses across the country with a lot of very talented people that can organically develop that next generation. Um, M&A is not strategy in and of itself. Um, and I think a lot of our competitors don't quite realize that yet. It's, it's a means to an end and it's the means to building scale so that you can sort of start that self-perpetuating wheel of, 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 of organic growth through both marketing and then also through the creation or development of advisors internally. And, and, and that, that would be the takeaway I would want someone listening to this to hear, which is we're, we're, we're not just doing transactions to do transactions. We understand sort of how faulty that logic is. We're doing transactions to build a platform so that we can spark that engine of organic growth. And that's something that we're really excited about. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for stopping by the RA Edge podcast. I appreciate it. It was great to get to talk with you. And I learned quite a bit about Wealth Enhancement Group. All right. Thanks for having me. And again, thank you everybody for joining the RIA Edge podcast with Jim Kahn from Wealth Enhancement Group. I wanted to just remind everybody that with the year coming to a close and you're starting to think about 2023, think about RIA Edge in 2023. We will be hosting our main event May 21st through May 24th at the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida. So mark your calendars. But until then, thank you everybody for tuning in. I'm Mark Bruno. And we're looking forward to having you all back on the next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Thanks everyone. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.